Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vitor Subral, and I'll get a sense of Sport Management Review's published research by chatting to the researchers themselves. Today, we're looking at charity sport events and the difficulties participants face in raising money for the cause. Joining me to discuss this is a very special guest. He's published prolifically about sport over the last decade, been cited thousands of times, and even quotes Seinfeld when discussing research with PhD students. He's Associate Professor at Griffith University. It's Kevin Philo. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Thank you for such a kind introduction. Kevin, along with co-authors David Fechner and Yuhei Inouye, recently published Charity Sport Event Participants and Fundraising, an Examination of Constraints and Negotiation Strategies. And Kevin, can I just say, I hate selling. It sucks. I did it for a bit and never again. And I've actually become an expert at avoiding salespeople. So I, I, I'm sure it's really tough for someone who's doing the hard sell for charity. But what I want to know is, how did you and the other co-authors consider this to be an important research topic? You know, my research is focused on the charity sport event experience. Um, and that research focus was, is based upon uh, industry experience that I had working for the Lance Armstrong Foundation, um, a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire and empower individuals with cancer. Uh, so I worked, I was involved with that organization for a number of years prior to my PhD. Uh, and that experience really sort of inspired my research interests because I didn't work directly in events, but I worked in the development and fundraising arm of the organization. And at the time that I worked there, this is sort of 2002 to 2005, the time that I worked there, if the organization was small enough that if you work for the organization, you were involved in their events. And so I was... Uh, they had the big fundraising event every year in October. Uh, at the time, it was called the Ride for the Roses. Since been rebranded to the uh, Live Strong Challenge, um, and I got to interact with the participants and sort of broadly speaking to these participants, um, I realized that this wasn't just an excuse for people to get on their bike on a Sunday in October in Austin, Texas. It wasn't just an excuse for them to open up their pocketbook uh, to make a donation to charity. There were a lot of layers of meaning to that, uh, to that event experience. And so I spent you know, the early part of my career looking at some of the antecedents of a meaningful sports event experience. And through that, spoke with even more charity sport event participants. Uh, and it was a recurring theme for me that the fundraising aspect was viewed as very critical from the participant perspective, certainly quite critical from the event manager and charity manager perspective, but it wasn't necessarily something that the participants looked forward to. Uh, I got this sense of there was a element of fundraising fatigue that participants were experiencing, uh, and it was reinforced by a few different things. First off, charity sport event participants tend to participate in the same event one year to the next, and charity sport event participants tend to participate in a diverse array of events in a given year, or a handful at least, a portfolio of events, if you will, uh, in a given year. And so there's sort of, they sort of grapple with this idea of going to the well too much. And they go back to these same contacts. How often do I even post that I'm doing this event? How often do I solicit? How often can I contact this specific person that I work with or, or who's a close friend? Uh, how do I craft my, my pitch from one year to the next? What's different? How do I explain that these donations do make a difference? How do I articulate the impact? There's just a lot going on. 
and certainly you speak to participants who are incredibly polished uh, and incredibly uh, successful with their donations. But if you spoke to them, you know, candidly, they tell you they still struggle with it. Even if they, even though they have success, uh, they struggle with this idea of having to fundraise and having to fundraise over and over again. So it was this idea of this, this sense of fundraising fatigue that I saw as, as a, a real problem. Um, it's something that was a real challenge for participants. And I just wanted to learn uh, more of my, my co-authors as well. So they were fatigued mentally before getting on the bike and then fatigued after that as well, physically. So it was just... Well, <laughs> exactly. Fatigued before they even got on the bike because they, you know, they probably set some fundraising uh, benchmark or milestone that they wanted to achieve and sprinted, uh, sprinted hard to get there. Whether or not they did, they, they probably felt quite fatigued before the event even was officially underway. Nice cycling analogy too, they're brilliant. You use constraints and negotiation, um, sorry, constraint negotiation theory uh, as your theoretical framework. Tell us a bit about that and, and how that worked and how you came up with that and how you saw it fit. Early in my PhD, I had been involved in some, uh, when I was a PhD student, I'd been involved in some projects where we looked at ledger constraints. Uh, so I had some familiarity with, the, with, the, with that as a overarching framework. And then I thought it was a, a solid fit with this particular project because the reality was I was speaking to people who had overcome this. They had, they had done some fundraising, whether or not they were completely satisfied with their some fundraising, they had successfully done uh, at least a bit of fundraising. So even if they were reluctant to do so or they were experiencing fundraising fatigue or they just did not enjoy the fundraising aspect, they still did it. Uh, so that idea of uh, perceiving this obstacle, uh, but at the same time overcoming this obstacle seems to align quite, uh, quite well with constraints and constraint negotiation. You and the, the co-authors conducted 27 interviews and I really hope you got some help transcribing those. What a nightmare. But how did you decide on, on participants of, of Triathlon Pink uh, as the research context? Uh, that was based upon an existing relationship I had with a uh, private event management company uh, called the Events Group, uh, based here on the Gold Coast. Uh, so I had uh, met this uh, gentleman, the gentleman who runs the Events Crew, through uh, my work at Griffith University. He'd come in and send some guest lectures for one of my courses, event marketing and sponsorship, and we had uh, quite a bit of rapport. And so. This was, and they, they oversee a collection of different events, uh, some of which don't involve any fundraising at all. Uh, some that are sort of that more hardcore participatory triathlon type events uh, that are really driven by the, the activity. Uh, and then they also have some events that are a bit more leisurely and a bit more focused on, you know, the other aspects within the community, some of which are uh, very fundraising driven, uh, traditional charity sport events. So I had some discussions uh, with the events crew around this idea of uh, pursuing this project and investigating this problem of, uh, you know, what I was referring to as fundraising fatigue and the challenges that uh, participants experience during fundraising. Uh, and they were very open to the idea and were kind of reviewed their collection of events and identified Triathlon Pink as an event that, A, the research problem was very much relevant to, and B, there would be uh, a great deal of willingness on, on the part of participants to partake in the interviews. Was there willingness? Like, uh, sometimes we think they're going to do it, and then you're like, oh, this is pulling teeth. 
Honestly, the, of all the events that I've examined, I've never had greater enthusiasm. I mean, and, I, and I've experienced the opposite end of this where it's absolute crickets when he put out that uh, recruitment email. And this was like nothing I'd ever seen. I was just the inbox being flooded. It, it was, I think I had to um, enlist somebody to support organizing the responses because it was, there were so many coming so quickly. And they weren't just coming saying, you know, please remove me from this, <laughs> from, uh, please unsubscribe me from this recruitment email. It was, it was this real enthusiasm. There was follow-ups from people who had, didn't hear back from us right away. Um, that I, I can say nothing but positive things for the enthusiasm of the uh, participant base for the triathlon pink. Follow up from the participants. That is a researcher's dream. Like that's, that's the jackpot, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's certainly the, the universe has evened out uh, in future projects. <laughs> I can assure you, but that was certainly a uh, great to experience. And, and then, it, it, you know, beyond just their willingness to participate um, their willingness to really engage in the interview process uh, was also great. It came through that they provided us as a collective with some, uh, what we thought was some really rich data and insights. So do you think they were just so desperate to tell, tell you their story about the difficulties they've had in, in trying to raise money here? Uh, I think that that's certainly part of it. I mean, I think that the asking questions about the challenges of, uh, that, that, that they experienced fund, fundraising certainly resonated. I also think that they were very satisfied with the event experience and so their participation as a way to to give back and to continue to work to improve the event overall. So I think it's a combination of things. The topic was uh, certainly relevant, but I also feel like they really, really enjoyed the event experience and saw this as a way to make that event experience better and uh, to give back to something that they've derived a lot of value from. You're right that the overall they were really happy with the event experience, but what constraints did you find in trying to raise that money? I mean, the biggest thing was just a, a, a reluctance to ask. Just getting to that ask was incredibly difficult for people. And I think anybody who's listening to this, who's done fundraising, you said at the outset about um, you, you hate selling. Um, the ask is critical to successful sales. Um, the ask is often, you know, is, people forget or neglect to ask in sales type situations and in fundraising, there's just a real reluctance to get to it. It sounds great in theory, but getting, getting to that ask, uh, in practice is very difficult. And then in addition to the, to the reluctance to ask some of the perceptions that they had about, uh, their, their network that they just wasn't the right time to ask their, their friends, family, and coworkers uh, for money. Uh, that was a real constraint as well. How did you find that they overcame these, these constraints? How did they um, find a way to ask, you know, find the right time? How did you um, ultimately, what were your findings? The reluctance to ask, there was the emergence of technology, and particularly social media, I think helped quite a bit. Um, in that individuals said that they could put things out on social media saying that they were participating in this event and sort of broadly request financial support uh, in terms of donations from their network. And that was a way where they could tick that box and they were doing the ask, but it didn't have that discomfort um, that happens from a, a face-to-face uh, type of ask. And even to an extent, I think send it, sending emails and sort of a, a blanket email out to your network. Yeah, if you're asking and you're asking explicitly, but it's not quite as 
uh, intense, perhaps. So I think that was one way that people could uh, navigate. Another thing that the participants revealed is that they used sort of an, an add-on to it. So they would uh, try to cr create these sort of independent events. One participant talked about how they put on a movie night um, and they had uh, connections to get uh, a venue at a relatively low price or perhaps even in kind. Uh, they put on a movie, asked people to pay for the movie and a portion of their proceeds went to that person's fundraising, fundraising campaign. Uh, other people talked a lot about conducting raffles. So it was, they felt that they, the ask was a lot easier because they were providing some sort of value in return, aside from just the feel-good factor that comes with um, a donation to charity. Sounds very creative, much better than what I did when I was selling stuff. <laughs> but ultimately, the really important question, what does this mean for charity sport events? Well, I think the biggest thing is providing as many resources as possible to educate and empower your fundraisers. And I think just speaking to, no one want to know about the sector, speaking to event managers that oftentimes the, I don't want to say the participants are taken for granted because event managers care a lot about uh, these event participants. They care a lot about the quality of the experience that they're delivering in the events. But I think to an extent, the fundraising is taken for granted. Um, and I think there could be a little bit more down in terms of resources to upskill people in terms of fundraising. Um, because even some of the negotiation strategies that are in place, posting on social media, yep, it made the participants feel better about putting forward the ask, but it's also less impactful. It's less successful. It's not necessarily the most efficient way to get it out there in terms of the number of yeses you're going to get. Providing some sort of added value is something, you know, this, that, that one interviewee who I spoke about with the connections to put on a movie night, not everybody has those connections. Uh, not everyone has the time or the resources to put on raffles or to have a sort of a bake sale with, with an add-on. Uh, and also when you have that sort of, that value add in exchange for the donation, it becomes a bit more transactional. Whereas you really want these uh, donations to be made from a relationship perspective, and that's a relationship not just between the participant and the donor, but a relationship between uh, that donor and their belief in what the charity is doing for uh, society and the wider community. So yet the, these people were successful in their fundraising, successful in negotiating these constraints, but I think event managers and charity managers can do a lot more to empower them to get better at navigating these constraints. Almost set up like a toolbox so that they can easily pick stuff up and, and start implementing it. Exactly. A toolbox. Uh, I think a lot of education on storytelling, you know, allowing people to convey their, their personal story while they participate in this event. And also the, the charity's broader story of why this charity matters and the uh, specific things that it's doing, uh, the impacts that it's having on society and delivering on its mission. So if you could now go back into a time machine and, and go back to Livestrong, uh, aside from knowing what happened, what would you implement knowing now what you have from, from this research? That's a, that's a great question. It's, it's certainly a, a different, uh, a, a much different environment now than it was then simply because of technological advancements. Social media was really barely a thing at the time that I, that I was there, which uh, makes me certainly feel quite old. But I think that the, a, a lot more in terms of uh, 
you know, I don't, I, just a little bit more of a personalized touch with the event participants. We were incredibly successful that we had a very loyal participant base. And within that loyal participant base, we had some incredibly sophisticated fundraisers. I mean, people who consistently brought in five figures for an event year after year. I mean, that's fantastic. Uh, and there are a variety of different factors that uh, led to that, but you certainly have to credit these particular participants and their fundraising capabilities for it. So as a result, because we had this loyal base overall in terms of just sheer numbers, and we also had these sort of top-heavy, incredibly high-performing fundraisers, we didn't necessarily reach out to every single fundraiser. Maybe that's not, maybe that's not realistic, but we could have done a lot more to... Uh, collect data from participants, just run some informal focus groups, have some sort of ongoing communication uh, with fundraisers who are relatively new or weren't necessarily satisfied with their level of satisfaction and just find out what we could do, what, what we could do to make, to set them up to succeed uh, in the fundraising space. What were, the, what were they trying to achieve? Why do they think they weren't successful and what can we do to address that? That sort of fundraiser outreach, I think, was something that was uh, missing that I think we could uh, we could have definitely implemented. Kevin, thanks so much for, for chatting with us and I hope that uh, charities can, can take what you've found in your research and, and be able to implement some things. Yeah, thanks. I hope so too and I think this is you know, this is exploratory re- research reflected in the method that we applied uh, but this is, an, this is an issue that um, is not going away anytime soon uh, for a variety of different factors so I think it's, it's definitely worthy of investigation so hopefully that there's some, there's some value in some charities and if there's any collaborators out there that are looking to investigate further I would certainly welcome, welcome that discussion. And I'm sure they can find your contact uh, somewhere on the SMR website and article list and I'm sure it's anywhere. Just type in Kevin Filo, please. Thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insight. Please head to the Sport Management Review website to check out all the latest research being published, including the article we've been speaking about today, Charity Sport Event Participants and Fundraising, an Examination of Constraints and Negotiation Strategies. That's it for this episode, but keep a lookout. There'll be more dropping in your favorite podcast player soon. Until then, it's bye for now.